This morning's message is entitled, What Do We Do Now? And we'll be looking at the first two chapters from the book of Acts, if you want to open there as we get started. A couple months back, our family loaned out to some good friends here some of our favorite books. Uh, And the books are from the Wingfeather Saga by Andrew Peterson, which I would recommend checking out, especially if you're a fan of a fantasy, sort of Lord of the Rings type stuff, but a little more lighthearted, but still a lot of deep stuff to take away. Anyway, we loaned these books out to our friends, and their teenage son immediately gravitated to this series. And he proceeded to race his way through the first three books in the series. But when he got to the fourth and final book, his pace slowed down dramatically. And he would, he would pick up the book, and he would read a chapter, and then he would put it away for a, a few days. And then he would maybe come back and read another chapter. And his mom finally asked him what, what the difference was. Had he lost interest? Was the fourth book not all that interesting? And he said to her, Mom, I don't want to finish this book because I don't want it to be over. He was saving, dare I say, savoring that final part of the, those, those final chapters. Maybe you can identify with that, that sense of reluctance to come to the end of something good. In a book of prayers that I've been enjoying over the past year, I've mentioned this a few times, it's called Every Moment Holy. There is actually a prayer or a lament to read upon finishing a beloved book. And the first part of it goes like this. It says, I am stirred and saddened, Lord, in coming to this tale's end, to bid farewell and return now from my sojourn in that storied place where longings for something more than the life I lead were wakened. We can feel a sense of disorientation or lament that comes in reaching the end of a great story. Not only are we sad that it's over, but we might also have that feeling that we're, we're wondering, well, what are we supposed to do now? Right? How do we reconnect with those longings that maybe that story stirred within us? Each year in the week following Easter, I think I go through something that is akin to that kind of experience. A wondering, well, what now? What's next? How do I live on this side of the resurrection, on this side of Easter morning? According to Luke the Evangelist, the very first disciples also had to sort through this kind of dilemma. Luke wrote a pair of books in our New Testament. And the first, of course, is the Gospel of Luke, where he records uh, the life of Jesus, his, his birth, his miracles, his teaching, his cross, and, of course, his resurrection. But unlike the other three Gospel writers, Luke didn't feel right about stopping there. For Luke, there was more to tell. There was a story about what happens after the resurrection that also needed to be told. And so in the second book that Luke authors, he begins that book in this way. 
He says, in my first book, in my gospel, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. But in this second book, the book we now refer to as Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, Luke implies that he's going to to continue that story in some way. That this second book will be a continuation then of what Jesus first did. But if you've read the book of Acts, you know that nine verses into that very first chapter, Jesus disappears, so to speak. Jesus takes off into the heavenly realms in the ascension. And the disciples just stand there, literally looking up into the heavens, it says. Sort of wondering and waiting, well, what do we do now? And the angel even has to sort of come and and prompt them and say, why, why are you staring off into the heavens this way? Jesus, there's, there's more to this story. Well, the good news is that, in fact, there are 28 additional chapters in the book of Acts. And all of these continue the story of Jesus. Only they continue it by describing how what Jesus began to do and teach gets imparted, gets amplified through this group of disciples who are sent out as missionary agents across the known world. For the next few months, I'd like to consider these acts of the apostles as a a primer, as a, a way for us to look at and think about what we do now. How do we live into, how do we begin to, to, to go out into this world that follows the resurrection and ascension of Jesus? So let me pray for us as we look into the book of Acts for the first time today together. Lord Jesus, it has been a full month. It's been a full and, and challenging journey through the season of Lent Lord, we are grateful for the great glory and living hope that we encounter on Easter, the reality of an empty tomb and a resurrected and ascended Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that through the work of your Spirit, what you began to do and teach in your earthly ministry might be multiplied, amplified, and continue in us and in our mission together as your people here. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I teach, may the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me encourage you to find a Bible there in your home and open up to the first chapter of Acts. I'm going to pick up with verse 12 this morning and and sort of be taking snippets throughout the first two chapters. But I want to start this morning in those moments uh, where the disciples are are immediately following the ascension of Jesus. I want us to see if we can discern what they did next. How do they begin to to adjust and live into uh, the next chapter of of that story, of their discipleship? This is chapter 1 of Acts, starting in verse 12. So after the ascension of Jesus, we're told, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. 
And when they arrived, they went to their upstairs room of the house where they were staying. And then verse 13 gives us this, this lengthy list of all of their names, those who were following him. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and, the Mar- and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what is it that these disciples find essential in those, those first moments following Jesus' ascension? Throughout the, the past ministry year, starting back in the fall, we've been attempting to highlight for, for our congregation, our community here, what are the, the essential practices of disciples? How is it that we're, we're meant to focus our attention? Back in September and uh, the, the fall months, we took uh, an extended time to look at the habit and the practice of worship. What does it mean for us to be deeply drawn into an upward relationship with the person of Jesus? How do we prioritize worship in our everyday lives? Well, notice that the the very first thing that these disciples do once Jesus has has left them, as he's ascended into the heavenly realms, is their, their instinct and their habit is to return to that upper room space and to enter into an extended time and season of worship with one another. Verse 14 says, They joined together constantly in prayer. That, that habit, that spirit of worship and prayer will become one of the, the hallmarks, the defining characteristics of the early church in Acts. In fact, the, the, the group of, of, of God's people or the disciples or the early church is coming together to pray in an intentional fashion is mentioned more than 30 times in the coming chapters of this book. So as we think about what it means for us to follow Jesus, to continue to to live into all that he has said and done and taught in the wake of his resurrection. I think we must continue to be a people who are defined by this habit of worship, joined to the life of God in that way. Worship needs to be habitual for us. Right now, most of our familiar habits have been interrupted. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out how our days fit together. We're trying to remember what day of the week it is. Trying to remember when we're supposed to eat, when we're supposed to work, when we're supposed to, to teach our kids, whether or not we're going to take a shower today. But let me encourage you as I continue to encourage myself to, to be like these zealous men and women in the upper room who find a way to make worship a, a first priority, even though they're, they're, they're trying to figure out what, what comes next. Right? Make, make a commitment to finding those spots in your day where you can be quiet, where you can close the door and listen to the Lord in prayer, to be in the word of God. Find times to put on worship music or to go outside for a walk and and sing songs of praise to God. Find ways to be in prayer together with one another. We need to to kind of recommit our energy to making a life of worship habitual right now as a church. So the first thing we see these disciples do in the the wake of Jesus' departure into the heavens 
is to, to redouble their commitment to a life of worship. And as they begin to worship, we see that they also are enabled to, to reconfigure and adjust their sense of community together going forward. Look at the very end of chapter 1 and Acts and the beginning of chapter 2. I'm going to pick up with chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then the, the disciples, as they were worshiping and gathered there in the upper room, they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the eleven apostles, right, taking the place of Judas. So that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. If we reflect on, on what came next for this group of disciples, we have to recognize that this community of the upper room looked different than the one they were used to in the Gospels. First and foremost, back in the Gospels, they had Jesus there with them in the flesh, right? Teaching and leading them, guiding them. And they also had Judas with them to, to round off the number of apostles at the, the appointed number, 12 disciples. But in this moment, right, they are isolated. They're, they're locked into an upper room for fear of being arrested or exposed as followers of Jesus. And of course, Jesus is no longer present there in the way he was before with them. They've been hurt and they've been betrayed in the loss of Judas among their number. And yet, as they commit to worship and commit to prayer with one another, we see that they're led by the Spirit to reconfigure and make adjustments in the way that they function as a community. As chapter 2 begins, Luke seems to note a sense of, of persistence and even a kind of at least temporary completeness to this gathered community. With Matthias taking Judas's place and, and as the day of Pentecost arrives... They are deeply sharing their lives together with each other. And we have a picture of a resilient, but also an adaptive community at the beginning of chapter 2. Community is also something that we have been trying to think carefully together about at JCC. If you can remember back to the start of this calendar year in January and February, we studied Paul's letter to the Philippians and we considered how discipleship is not only an, an upward call to know Jesus in worship and in, in prayer, but discipleship is also an inward call to know and follow Jesus together as a community. Discipleship requires a, a team. Discipleship requires a family. It requires the body of Christ in its, in its fullness and togetherness. The last time we had a chance to do that together in person was here at the start of March. We met together on that morning and we called Pete as our new pastor of youth ministry. We were able to share a meal together with one another. But since that time, we've had to, to look for ways to reconfigure how it is we meet together and connect. Ways to, to be a body even though we are physically separate and apart. And of course, having you know, worship resources and messages online like this one is, is an encouragement in this time. 
But let me encourage you that uh, we, want to, we want to go beyond that, that initial level of connection. We want to stay connected personally with one another. And whether that's through the continuation of your, your connection with a small group, whether that's uh, remaining in close contact with a few friends at the church, maybe being involved in one of our online Sunday school classes, just sharing our lives with one another in whatever way is possible right now. If you're looking for a concrete opportunity to do that in, in a way that could also serve and bless others, uh, a few of us have been talking about putting together a team that would help us systematically call and reach out to various members in our community, particularly those who might be alone or more isolated or just in need of, of, of special encouragement. And so we're, we're trying to pull those together and then work alongside our deacon board in, in being systematic and intentional about connecting and calling and, and knitting our community together right now. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can reach out to me with a phone call or an email this week. I have the, the sense, though, that in this time we are being reshaped, we're being reconfigured as a community. And, you know, we, we don't look as a church like we did two months ago. And I, my sense is coming out of this, we're, we're going to look differently in terms of how we operate and the kinds of relationships we have. But if, if we persist, if we remain uh, resilient and committed to worship and, and to community in this time, I think we're also poised then to grow into a third and important area of discipleship. And that is the way we share in mission together. We see in Acts chapter 2 that it's, it's, it's upon this continuously worshiping and reconfigured community of the upper room that God chooses to pour out his Holy Spirit in, in a new and fresh way on Pentecost. Look at Acts 2 starting in verse 2. On the day of Pentecost, it says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And the disciples saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And then we get this, this great uh, speech of the apostles, and in particular, Peter, as he, as he speaks uh, to the crowds all that Jesus had begun uh, to do and teach and the whole ministry of his earthly life. But I want to highlight just verses 32 and 33. Peter says, The God then has now raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. And it says that the crowds were stirred, they were, they were cut to the heart, and they became responsive to what God was doing through the person of Jesus, and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and through the witness and mission of these disciples on that day. Pentecost then, as, as a day or as an event, it, it marks out a transition 
from, from the, the upward and the inward life of this early church, right? Their commitment to worship and community. In this moment, it gets turned outward in this tidal wave of mission. Think about the, the transition in, in, in a kind of image of what happens on that morning of Pentecost. In verse 2, we have this community tightly knit, but, but sort of isolated, locked together in that upper room. But as the spirit begins to move and that wind begins to blow and the tongues of fire descend, by verse 5, that, that isolated and tight-knit community is driven out, turned out onto the streets. And they begin to speak to this incredible crowd that's gathered in the street below. Jews, were told, from every nation, hearing about Jesus in their own tongue, right, in Greek, in Aramaic, in Arabic, in Coptic, and Latin. On that morning, the Holy Spirit becomes their translator. And they are emboldened to, to give witness to a Jesus, they say, who has been raised to life, who is a, a living hope. Right? They testify to a Jesus who is exalted and ascended to the right hand of God. And from that place of exaltation is now pouring out the Holy Spirit across the land in a fresh way. Right? They proclaim the gospel of Jesus. They proclaim Jesus as the object of their worship. They proclaim Jesus as the, the foundation, the center of their community. But for that gospel to mean anything on that morning, right, it had to become local. It had to become located. It had to become personal. It had to be translated to this crowd. And I think that that expresses and illustrates what the work of mission looks like. The Spirit comes to lead us out in mission and to see how God might be working outside of the walls where we tend to cluster and, and huddle together. As disciples who are following Jesus, we, we need to go up in worship. We need to come in together as a community, but then we must regularly give ourselves to be sent out by the Spirit in mission. And so for the next few months, I want to give special attention to that dimension of discipleship. How does the worshiping community at JCC become a missional worshiping community? How do we learn to bring what happens here in and among us and through the work of the Spirit translate that to our neighbors and our friends, to those who might be anxious or fearful? people who are losing jobs right now, to classmates who are struggling through some difficult things. Right, Jesus is, is not a resource that we need to, to protect or to, to, to sort of hold in. Right? Jesus desires on the day of Pentecost to be poured out. He's pouring out his spirit upon nations and communities. One, I think, timely resource and, and place and context that we can begin to explore this together is in our adult Sunday school class right now. Uh, not this Sunday, but in, in the Sundays to follow, uh, Phil Korovu is going to continue leading us in this discussion of what it means to be missional communities, missional disciples. How do we, how do we come alongside the people that are already part of our lives and invite them into what it looks like to follow Jesus with us? 
From now into the start then of the summer months, we're going to be taking a a sustained look into the book of Acts. We're going to be asking of that first and, and earliest church what it looks like when the people of God are growing simultaneously in worship and in community and in mission. Is it possible then that that what Jesus began to do in his earthly ministry, what he continued to do through the life of the early church in Acts, is that something that that he might also be continuing to work through us today? I mentioned at the start of my sermon a, a prayer that could be read at reaching the end of a beloved book. Well, on the the opposite page in that same book of prayers is a prayer to read before beginning a new book. With the book of Acts then as the the place that we are giving our attention for these next months, let me offer you this prayer, some excerpts from this prayer today. Author of life and author of my life, as I begin the reading of this book, give me a sensitivity to listen, not just to the story told, but to the responses of my own heart to what I encounter in these pages. What does it draw out of me? What joy, what longing, what fears? Let the honest responses of my heart to this reading grant new insight into the story your grace is already telling in my own life that I might be a more willing co-laborer in that process. And I would add to that prayer, Lord, would you vitalize and make fresh and make new to us your word uh, and, and the working of that word, uh, the actions of that word um, through the Holy Spirit, through the, the life of the early church, but also through the life of this church. Lord, would you draw us to you in worship? Would you continue to reconfigure us as a community in the way that you desire right now? And would you lead us out in mission? Lord, help us to to be poured out in the way uh, that brings you honor and glory today in this place. In Jesus' name we pray.